Oh, so good to have you here, Mary Beth and Bio and David and Lily, and uh, hope that many of you can stay, even if you didn't raise your hand high. Hopefully now you want to stay, uh, enjoy some pizza, and get to know a little more about their ministry. Uh, I'm thankful that God gives us a mission, a purpose, and an aim in life, that God calls us. So those that he calls to himself, all of us who trust in Jesus, have been saved by God's grace, have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and all of us, as, as ones who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, are being equipped for and empowered for the work of making disciples. That's what God has called us to do. This is a ministry that he's given to all of us. Now, the way that particular ministry and calling looks is different, and we probably many times don't even get to know it right away. So Mary Beth shared, she's feeling called to ministry in Africa at the age of 17, but there were all these steps in between age 17, college, Iowa Falls, all these things that she hadn't totally planned on, right? And so that's the way it works for many of us, that God makes a calling, a ministry for us to do, and our understanding of what that might be might shift and change and develop over time. Well, we are looking today at 2 Timothy chapter 4, and this is a, a book that we've been going through. This is our seventh week now in 2 Timothy. And you will recall, if you've been with us in these previous weeks, that this is a letter, a personal letter, letter written by the Apostle Paul, who's like a father figure in the faith to a young man named Timothy. And God has called Timothy to a particular ministry. God has raised up and empowered and equipped Timothy to pastor the church in Ephesus. And so he's at work doing this kind of ministry, and it's a ministry that is saturated with the Word of God and centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in his time and in our time, any ministry saturated with the Word of God and centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be hard. And so Timothy would have been tempted over and over and over again to just give up. And so Paul writes this letter to him. It makes clear in this letter, especially in the passage we're looking at today, that Paul recognizes that his time on this earth and the ministry that God has given him are coming to a close. And so he is looking at Timothy. Paul can look at his own life, recognize my life is coming to an end. I don't have much time left on this earth. My ministry here is pretty much done. But he looks at the world around him and he looks ahead into the future and recognizes there are countless people who have yet to hear and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so even though I'm going to die, this ministry needs to keep going forward. And so he looks at Timothy as one who can be a part of God's plan to make that gospel continue to advance. And so that's the context of the letter. Today, we're going to look at the second to last passage of this letter. And in many ways, it reads like a summary or conclusion of what we've looked at so far. A lot of the themes that we've seen throughout the letter are going to be repeated here in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8. And this portion of the letter is rich in application for us. Whether God has called us to fulfill our ministry here in Iowa Falls or in Nigeria. Here's what I think we'll see today. God provides us with a multitude of motivations and methods 
for fulfilling our word-saturated ministry. God provides us with a multitude of motivations and methods for fulfilling our word-saturated ministry. If you're able to, would you stand as we read the Word of God? Let's pray. God, thank you for what we've already been able to do in our gathering. Thank you for songs that direct us to the Lamb who is on the throne and who is worthy of our praise. Thank you for allowing us to sing songs that remind us that it's not all on us to hold on, but that you, God, are the one who holds us fast. That, that we who are saved are your delight. And God, thank you for helping us uh, to remember through singing a song that Jesus is coming again. And so we know that there's work yet for you to do. As we get to hear about work that you've done and are doing in Nigeria, we're thankful. We know there's much work yet to be done there, and there's much work yet to be done there. And we know it's not just all out there. It's in here. It's in this church. It's in this sanctuary. It's in each individual heart. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work now in us and through us to accomplish whatever it is that you desire. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear the word of the Lord from 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, be sober-minded. Do the work of an evangelist. Endure suffering. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. As usual, inside your uh, bulletin is a sermon notes page with an outline of where we're headed today. I want you to think, though, before we dive right into verse number one, what do you think it might have been like for Timothy to be reading this letter for, from Paul for the first time? He can see, maybe as he gets to the end of the parchment, that, that this letter's almost done, and from the portion he reads right here, it is pretty clear that these might be the last words that he ever hears from his father figure in the faith, Paul. How do you think Timothy received this letter? He's hearing Paul say things like, the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Have you ever been with someone at the end of their life? 
spent maybe even their last minutes on this earth with them. Maybe even though last hours, maybe even it's someone who you knew, they knew that their time was coming, the time of their departure had come. And so you knew in those visits over those last days that this might be the last time I have a conversation with him. Did you pay a little more attention to the words that they had to say? I think Timothy was paying close attention to these words from Paul. And I think the heart of this last section, verses 1 through 8, the second to last section of the letter, I think could be summed up with the command at the end of verse 5. The most general and broad command. There's all sorts of specific commands in this passage, but I think the most general and broad command is this one. Fulfill your ministry. If you outlined the passage, I think you could outline it just saying verses 1 through 5 is Paul's call to Timothy, fulfill your ministry, and verses 6 through 8 are saying, I fulfilled mine. I fulfilled mine, now you fulfill yours, Timothy. And so today, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to see lots of these commands. What I really think we see within this command to fulfill your ministry is we see all sorts of motivations and methods laid out. Let me point out where we see the very first one. So let's look at verse 1. In verse 1, it sounds like he's going to start right off with a command. I charge you. Okay, So it's not like a, 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 a subtle suggestion. It's a charge that he's about to bring. I charge you, he says. And then we're waiting for the command. What does he charge him to do? Well, we don't even find out until verse 2. Because the charge comes with this kind of extra weightiness. It's already weighty because it's some of Paul's last words, but it's extra weighty because of what Paul inserts between I charge you and preach the word in verse 2. What we have in the rest of verse 1, I think, is a motivation. Why? Why should Timothy preach the word if it might cause him to end up in chains like Paul is, if it might lead to his execution like Paul is about to be executed. Why should Timothy continue to preach the word and fulfill his ministry? Look at verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. God's presence is a reason is a motivation to continue preaching the word. Right? I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Remember when Jesus commanded the disciples that they are to go and make disciples of all nations? Remember what he promised them? And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right? So, so there's this command that's coming. There's a commitment that he wants Timothy to make, a commitment to fulfill his ministry, to preach the word. But he's reminding him, he's charging him to do this in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And he continues, who is to judge the living and the dead. Most people will hate Timothy for his word-saturated gospel ministry. But he's called to fulfill it. Why? Because Jesus is coming again to judge all people everywhere. And there's a ton of them who have not yet heard the gospel. So in light of the coming judgment of Jesus, of all people everywhere in the future, right now, Timothy, be engaged in this wholehearted ministry of preaching the word. And then also he adds this in verse 1, and by his appearing, or his second coming, and his kingdom. Jesus had come once already 
to initiate his kingdom, but he's coming again not only to judge, but to establish his eternal reign once and for all. And so Paul's message to Timothy is keep your eyes there on the presence of God around you, the future judgment of Jesus, and by his appearing and his kingdom which has come and is coming more fully. In light of all of that, he finally gets to the command in verse 2. The first command is this. Look at verse 2. Preach the word. And here's where we start getting into the methods. The motivation is the presence, the judgment, the appearing, the kingdom. The methods are, well, how is he going to fulfill his ministry? By preaching the word. This is the first of the commands. Preach the word. And this makes sense in light of what we looked at last week. If you were with us last week, remember, we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and we saw that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We talked about needing to use the word to teach, to transform, and to train. And so it makes sense that at the heart of Timothy's ministry is going to be the Word of God. Timothy doesn't have anything better than that. We don't have anything better than that, right? So that's why I'm using the word over and over again, word-saturated ministry. He tells Timothy, preach the Word. When? Well, that's what comes next. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. So, so when Timothy, listen to this, when Timothy's preaching, he's not, same for me when I'm preaching, he's not just downloading information like he's some boring college lecturer. That's not what he's doing. He is preaching, heralding the word of God and calling people to change. That's what good biblical preaching is. It's proclaiming the Word of God and using it to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Sometimes stepping on people's toes, telling us, reminding us as God works in the preacher himself, and then the preacher communicates to others, we've got some work to do. We're not there yet. We need to be reproved and rebuked and exhorted. And so, reprove, rebuke, and exhort Yet, <laughs> Timothy's a pastor. You know what pastors do? They work with people. And you know, you know people? They don't automatically get transformed in an instant when pastors preach a really good sermon. Right? Like, I, I, I know that. Timothy had to know that by now. He doesn't just get up, preach a really good sermon, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, and all of a sudden transformation in everybody. And so... Notice what it says at the end of verse 2. With complete patience and teaching. Timothy might have thought initially, preach the word, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. I can do that. I've been working on that, Paul. And then he says, with complete patience and teaching. Uh, this is going to take some time. Right? And Timothy should know that, just like I know that. Because I know God has been completely patient with me. And I don't just hear something once and get it. And the church doesn't just hear something once and get it. And so Paul calling Timothy, the pastor, to preach the word of God, rebuke, rebu reprove, rebuke, and exhort, but also to do it with complete patience and teaching. 
And the commands continue. If we're looking at the method, so the method of fulfilling the ministry starts with preaching the word. And then if you skip down to verse 5, we have some more commands. As for you, always be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. I've heard people say before that this ministry thing wouldn't be all that hard if it wasn't for the people. Right? Because people are hard to work with. And so, Timothy needs to be reminded that you must not lose your cool. You must think clearly. You must speak wisely. There's a lot of times where you're going to want to say something and you shouldn't say something. Right? Be sober-minded. Endure suffering, he says. See that there in verse 5? Endure suffering. This has been a theme of the letter. It's not that if you do everything right, everything is going to go well. What we've heard over and over again in this letter, if you do everything right, it's going to go bad. If you do everything right, you will suffer. For all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, right? That's what we've heard in the letter, and so it's not surprising that Paul says, here's how you're going to do it. Here's how you fulfill your ministry. You endure suffering. That's part of it. And then do the work of an evangelist. Make sure, Timothy, that you are proclaiming the gospel in such a way that lost people hear it and can be saved as they put their faith in Jesus. And then, again, that overarching commandment, fulfill your ministry. So, overarching, I think, summary commandment. So, we've got motivations, we've got methods, and then finally we've got the, the need. We've got the need for word-saturated, gospel-centered ministry, and it's in the two verses that I skipped over. Here's why Timothy needs to fulfill his ministry saturated with the Word of God. Look at verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It's good for young Timothy to be reminded... (laughs) Timothy, people aren't going to want to hear you. Let's be honest. People aren't going to want to listen to you, Timothy. What you have to say, a lot of people just don't care. People are not attracted to Bible teachers like Timothy. Why? Because they don't like sound teaching from the Bible that calls them to change. People don't like to be reproved or rebuked. And so if Timothy is being faithful to do the ministry that God's called him to do and to preach the word, there's going to be a whole lot of sinners that just don't want to hear it. What's most natural for, most, for, for people born in sin is that we want to accumulate for ourselves all sorts of teachers that will tell us what our itching ears want to hear. They're going to tell us what suits our own passions. Tell me what I already think. Make me feel good about what I already believe, right? That's what's most natural. And so Paul reminds Timothy, this is the kind of setting that you're doing this ministry in. This highlights the need for a word-saturated kind of ministry. Let's pause for one point of application here. We're going to get to motivations and methods at the end of the sermon. But I want to pause here at least and, and recognize that the need that existed in Timothy's day for the Word of God to be preached, the need for a Word-saturated ministry in the first century church, 
that need still exists today because you know what's still true today? People still have itching ears and don't want to endure sound teaching, and they have way more opportunities than they did probably in Timothy's day through the internet to find all sorts of people that will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. They can find, any, any of you, you can find people that tell you whatever it is you want to hear. Somebody's saying it out there. And in a more attractive kind of way than I might preach. And as a result, many people are turning away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. Entire denominations stopped a long time ago believing that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. And as soon as they put that on the shelf, all sorts of junk follows, right? And so what they're still doing, they're still gathering people together, but they're gathering people together to share some inspirational thoughts, to focus on doing good things for others that make them feel good. And in the end, people are satisfied because they're hearing teaching that suits their own passions. My commitment to you as your pastor is that my ministry, whether from the pulpit or in the hospital room or in your home or wherever else we might be, we're going to be a church. I want to be a pastor committed to in a culture that is desperately in need of word-saturated ministry. Now, I want to point one thing out because this command here to preach the word, most of you in here aren't pastors. God has given you a different kind of ministry. You're, you're a mom, you're a grandpa, you're a farmer, you're a teacher, whatever, whatever you might be, that's the ministry calling that God has given you. Let me exhort you with this. Whatever ministry God has given you, saturate it with the Word of God. That's what people need more than anything else. They need the very Word of God. People often prefer something else. It's not going to be what people express to you that they desire, but that's what it is that people need. And so as a church, we will make our youth ministry saturated with the Word of God. If you are engaged in the church in children's ministry, saturate it with the Word of God. Whatever ministry God has given you within or outside of the church, saturate it with the Word of God. This is what we need. We need Word-saturated ministry today. So, Paul begins with this command, fulfill your ministry, and here's why and how you're going to do it. And then he moves on to, as he's done before in the letter, we need real-life examples of what does this look like? <laughs> like, I, thank you, Paul. I get the why, I get the how, but what is this supposed to look like? And again, Paul uses himself as an example because he and Timothy have a relationship. So the example that Paul uses is his own life. Look at verse 6. Now this is point number two, a ministry fulfilled. Verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul's life is coming to an end. He uses this Old Testament language of sacrifice. And notice that the verb there is passive. He's, I am being poured out. He is allowing God to pour his life out like a sacrifice. It's not that, it's not that Paul's holding something in the tank for later on. He is being poured out. 
He's, he's pulling up to the station on fumes. He's got almost nothing left. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, he says. And the time of my departure has come. And as he looks back on his life, notice what he says in verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Nothing about it has been easy for Paul. Think back. We just went through the book of Acts. Think back what Paul's life was like. His life before God saved him was way easier than his life after God saved him. Right? And we've seen that. As Paul lives in obedience and fulfills his ministry, it's a fight. But it's a good fight, and he's fought it. It's a race, and it's a long race, and it's a hard race, and he's going uphill both ways. But he's run the race. He's finished the race. And in all of it, what's he done? He's kept the faith. That's what we've kind of put as the subtitle of this whole sermon series, keep the faith. That's what Paul is calling Timothy to do, and that's what Paul is saying, I've done it. I've come to the end. And and I might not have a a lot of other things to show for it. I'm sitting here in prison in chains awaiting execution. You're not getting an inheritance from me, Timothy. Like I didn't write you in my will. I got nothing left. But I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And then this motivation, this I think is what has kept Paul going in those dark nights in the prison. I think this is what has kept him going. Look at verse 8. I love this verse. Henceforth, we don't use that word enough. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What kept Paul fighting and running and enduring suffering? His eyes were fixed on the future that he knew was sure. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. This is what keeps Timothy going. This This is what keeps Paul going, and what he knows will keep Timothy going. And so, did you notice That verse 1 of this passage started out with talking about the coming judgment and the second coming of Jesus. And how does he end it? The coming judgment of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. Right? This is what motivates Paul and Timothy alike. And this is what should motivate us to keep going. I want to get to that here in a moment. But I don't want to skip over the methods. So here's the application points. The methods for word-saturated ministry for Timothy looked like preaching the word. This is how he was going to fulfill his ministry. Preaching the word, being ready in season and out of season, reproving, rebuking, exhorting, right? With complete patience and teaching. This is what ministry should look like for us. Whatever kind of ministry you're doing, even if you're not in a spot where you're regularly preaching the word of God, is your ministry saturated with the word of God? Parents, is your ministry in your own home saturated with the Word of God? Being ready at all times to reprove, rebuke, and exhort, (laughs) and this is the hard part for parents, with complete patience and teaching, right? Your kids don't get stuff when you just say it once. Like I said that. Well, yeah, 
You're going to have to say it, not just say it, but also teach with complete patience as we desire transformation in our kids. If we engage in word-saturated gospel ministry, if we do the work of an evangelist, we better be prepared to endure suffering. In some places of the world that feels like a much bigger threat than it does to live out your faith in Jesus, we've talked before about uh, the challenges faced by people living in Nigeria like Mary Beth and Bio. It seems a lot less threatening here in the United States of America. But let's be people who are sober-minded, who recognize that we are in a fight, we are in a race, and we need to keep the faith as we seek to fulfill our ministry. That's some of the methods. They're the same. I don't have to like, well, here's what Paul told Timothy to do, and we're going to do it different. It's the same. But here's what I want to end with. I want to end with the motivations. We need motivation to keep going. Anybody else here today feeling like you need a little motivation? You need to be boosted up a little bit, maybe, maybe in the form of like a kick in the pants or maybe in the form of somebody putting their arm around you so you've got somebody to lean on. You feel like you need some motivation today? How are we going to continue on? Well, I think we have all sorts of motivation right here in this passage. We fulfill our ministry Because Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And all those who have not heard the gospel and put their faith in Jesus will be condemned, while all who trust in him will live forever in his kingdom under his eternal reign. We really believe that. So let me just make sure it's clear to all of us who are here today, because maybe you're here today and I don't know what your motivation for being here is, but, but maybe you haven't clearly heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't know the, the good news that there is a holy creator God. And you don't know the bad news yet. That you have offended him as a sinner by nature and by choice. It's who you are and it's what you do. And, and if, if Jesus came back tomorrow to judge all of us, if we were only depending on ourselves, would be guilty before him. But God has sent Jesus to come the first time, and the reason Jesus came was to give his life as a ransom for sinners. That Jesus came to take the penalty for our sin, to take our sin on himself, on the tree. And all of God's wrath for our sin poured out on the Son, and all of his righteousness imputed to everybody who trusts in him, so that on the day of judgment, we can, like Paul, look forward not to being judged by God, but we long for the second coming, saying, even so come, because we know that henceforth there is laid up for us on that day a crown of righteousness, not that we have earned, but that has been given to us, that will be placed upon us by the one who earned it for us. This is a motivation for us. And if you have not trusted in Jesus, I I urge you today to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus. Come and talk to me about that. I would love to have that conversation with you. And we fulfill our ministry because we don't want to waste our last years on earth pursuing the American dream. We want to get to the end and we want to be totally poured out. To be able to look back at our life and to say, I've fought the fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith.
That, that's where we want to get. You see how this is really applicable for us? We don't know when our day will be. Maybe you're facing health things that make you think of the fact that maybe my day is really soon. Maybe your age is like above average, right? And so you're kind of thinking, uh, my day might be coming soon. Maybe you're young and you think you're invincible, but you're not. We don't know when our day is coming. I would love whenever that day comes to be able to have a little time to reflect and to look back and to say, I fought the fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Yesterday morning I sat at Bob and Carol Reekin's house and I talked to Bob and Bob let me know. He said, whenever my day comes, well, he knows he's ready whenever that day comes. But he, he told me yesterday morning, he said, I decided this about 20 years ago, but I haven't told you yet. When you do my funeral, this passage that I'm preaching today, this is the passage he wants preached. Because Bob already, God may give him many more years, but you have a health concern, you start looking back and, and reflecting on your life. And Bob can already say at this point, if it were next week that God takes him, he could look back and he could say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He is poured out, right? That, that his life has been molded by the very word of God and he has been a man, a faithful elder in this church and another church before it, pouring himself out for the sake of others, saturated with the word of God. I want to live like that. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And listen, and not only to me, Paul said. It's not just for special people like Paul, but to all who have loved his appearing. Do you long for the return of Jesus? We're going to sing in a little bit this song, <laughs> Because you hear like this call, like, man, that's heavy. Life is already heavy. And then you say, i got to fulfill my ministry and all that. Like, when the race is complete, my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. That's what we're going to sing here at the end. All these things that God calls us to, we don't have the strength on our own. So we sing, yet not I, but through Christ in me. I'm going to close with a quote from Tony Marita who says it this way. Unbelievers dread Christ's coming, but as believers we long for it. Jesus is our blessed hope. This vision will keep you running your race. Do you see Jesus? There he is. You are getting closer. Keep running, keep fighting, keep guarding. Soon you will see him as he is. Then you will see his scarred hands and look into his majestic eyes. His lips will move and he will say, well done. He will place a crown on your head. On that day, you will not regret fighting, running, and enduring for his name's sake. Let's pray. God, we are hopeless without you. <laughs> you certainly know it, and we're learning it. We're grateful that you have given us salvation. So great a salvation, a salvation undeserved. And we're grateful that along with that you give us your spirit and that you give us a ministry. And we need your help to fulfill it. So would you help us? Help us be encouraged by the methods and motivations in this passage. Would you convince us again of the need for this kind of ministry in our day? Help us to fulfill a gospel-centered, word-saturated ministry. We look at the task, and it seems too great. 
but we look at you and we are filled with confidence. And so I pray that you would boost our confidence in you even more as we sing this song together now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are able, please stand and